Uh, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of God's word to give God honor and to clarify and focus us this morning. So if you would stand with me as we look at 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments of every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this time and for your word, for our gathering today that doesn't celebrate anything that we do, God, but celebrates what you've done. God, as we look at these lies that that trap us and that keep us from finding our true identity in you. I pray that, um, that today uh, we would just be open to your spirit. Um, God, this may feel like a little bit of open heart surgery for some of us. It may feel like we were, are exposing things that have been deeply held and guarded for long, long, long periods of time. But God, the truth that you set us free today I pray that, that we would know that, God, and that if we don't know that, we would, we would be open to hearing that. So make it um, safe in your spirit, God, as we look at your word and see what it has to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and take your seat. Uh, last week, we started a new series called Identity Theft. And uh, we were talking, about, we're talking about these lies, or at least the truth about lies. And... They're lies that, that we believe that if we, if we do believe these things, they can steal our identity from us. And, and if they haven't stolen that identity from us, then, then they're things that keep us from finding our true identity. And so this, this idea comes from the fact that, that Satan is the originator or the father of lies. John eight forty four says that he was a murderer from the beginning, and, and he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him, and when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so today we're going to look at this really common lie that I think a lot of us believe, and it's the lie that this is just the way I am. I can't change, I just simply can't do anything about it. And what happens is this, this really subtle truth that is, that is this, that a lie that's believed as truth will affect us as if it were true. Okay, so, so my neighbors have this huge, huge Australian shepherding dog named Tex. Okay, our dog's name is Muffin. Okay, <laughs> that doesn't scare anyone. But Tex, he has wolf-like eyes. He has these sharp teeth. He weighs about 75 to 100 pounds. And he like goes up on his front paws and knocks small children over. He knocks larger children over too. So needless to say, like the whole neighborhood, children and some adults, are, are scared of this dog. And, and after they've had the dog for a few weeks, they realized that they were going to need kind of an electric fence. You know, one of these uh, shock collar things. If if they were not only for their dog, but for the safety of their neighborhood. So they put in the fence, they went through some training, 
And they put the collar on this dog and set it, you know, to 75 or, or 100 pounds for this dog. And just a few minutes later, literally, someone's biking by and this dog just starts going. And he's got this huge hair, so he's kind of going like down and you can just see it in slow motion. He's getting to the edge of the, of the road and the biker like almost crashes because he freaks out and then all of a sudden, zap! And, and the dog's like, Aah! so he comes back and two zaps, that was all it took. Because then this dog, I mean, he will not leave the, do- leave the yard at all. Um, in fact, like a few months later, their, their battery on this thing like wore out. They didn't even have to replace it. Like they just put the collar on him and the dog believes without a doubt that that fence is on. And so they don't even have to turn the fence on anymore like that sends the signal from the perimeter of the yard because he's convinced that this thing is on. He will not stop. He will go, like he sees a squirrel, squirrel, and and just starts bolting. And he gets to the edge of the yard, collar's on, doesn't work. Fence is not even on. And he will just stop dead in his tracks and sit there by the edge and moo. He believes that collar works. A lie that's believed as if it was true will affect us as if it's truth. So when I was in elementary school, I was pretty popular. Okay? I know that might be hard to believe, but here's how I figured it out. I wasn't the last one picked for dodgeball. Um, I was king of the hill a few times when we we were at recess. I played second line, but on the A-team in hockey. So, um, and the cutest girl in my class liked me for like two and a half or three weeks. And I had friends. So I figured those are all the things that tell ourselves that we're worthy or we're worth something. We're in elementary school. So I thought I was cool. Um, well then later that year, like my best friend and I had a disagreement and I'm not exactly sure what happened, um, that day. It had something to do with the fact that like I was, um, challenging his, him as an equal friend, rather than just being like a wingman or the supporting actor in the story of his life. And, um, and so whatever exactly happened in that lime green bathroom of Highland Elementary School, see how I can go right back there? All I know is this, like, we had it out, and, and things were said, and the next day when I walked to my long rectangular elementary school table with, like, 10 seats on that side and 10 seats on this side and I had my tray and there's one spot left and so I went to sit down in that spot and my friend was not directly across but right over here he looked up at me he goes you can't sit here we're not friends with you anymore and like the whole table just stopped and there was this silence and I'm like what like I I figured we were gonna have problems but like you just claimed our whole friend group is no longer friends with me anymore And I I walked away from that table and I felt the zap. And I went to go sit down at this this little yellow rectangular table that was just empty. And I just sat there. And and I'm like, "Did did I lose my friends? It was kind of like the electric collar was put on me and the fence was just set. And a little little lie began to grow in my identity. And that lie didn't just take root that day, but it like fully wrapped itself around me when 
at the end of the week, I went to my, uh, my, like, my only other friend, Scott, in the whole class, and I'm like, Scott, will you, are you still friends with me? Like, are we, we're, we're still okay, right? Like, we can still play, you know? It's elementary school. We can still play, right? And, uh, and, he, and he said, well, yeah, I can still be friends with you, but just not at school. Because if I'm, not, if I'm friends with you at school, then, then I might lose all my friends. And so this lie that grew up in me was, was if no one wants to be my friend, then I must be worthless. Zap. And maybe you've believed some of these lies too. That you're mean, that you're not good enough, that you're not good enough, that you have lots, that you need to have lots of friends to be likable, that you have to lie to, to see and get people to believe you. And I'm getting old that I have to succeed, that I can never stop drinking, that I'm fat. Maybe, like me, you believed a relational lie, I'll call it. That is the idea that, um, that I'm, just, I'm never going to be good at relationships. Like, I'll never have a good friendship. Um, I'll never have a good relationship. I'll never be married. If you're married, you're one who says, you know, my marriage is always going to stink. It, um, some of you started the marriage course. I hope that's going well. I imagine some of these conversations in my head. Um, wish I was like a little fly on the wall in there, but, but like this, like, um, you know, I wish you could be more affectionate with me. You can decide if it's the man or the woman speaking right now. Um, I wish you'd be more affectionate with me, with me, like with your words and with your touch. Well, sorry, this is just the way I am. I wish you could, like, tell me about your day more. I mean, really talk to me. Well, I just don't open up to people. It's just the way I am. This is what I'd call a relational stronghold. And what I mean by stronghold is um, stronghold was this place of protection and security. It's not the main castle in, in times of war. But in ancient times of war, a stronghold was an outpost. It was, it was sometimes a tower. It was sometimes a smaller fortress. And it was away from the main city or the main castle, but it would be a place of safety and a place to get supplies. So it was very, very important. And so when I say stronghold, like it might be a place that you go to. It might even be a place that you retreat to. It might be a place you find safety or security in. For example, this isn't just men to pick on the men, but sometimes um, men if they don't want to talk about their day, they'll go to their stronghold, also known as their man cave, okay? Or their home office, or their garage, especially if it's heated, um, you know, and, and, and they'll just kind of huddle down in there. Again, not bad. Not bad. Especially if they need to de-stress, and they're going to be like super ugly. But I would say not the ultimate way to have human connection. 
ladies, your stronghold might be, especially if you're a mom, um, your stronghold might be the, your relationship with your kids. Um, if you and your husband are trying to connect emotionally and you can't, then you might find safety, security, or significance through that relationship with your kids. Not bad, but just not ultimately where you need to find that connection. Ultimately where you need to find your safety, your security, or your significance. And I think a lot of the cards in here are dealing with relational strongholds. And what your spiritual enemy, Satan, wants to do is he wants you to think this is just the way I am. I'm never going to change And then all of a sudden you start to believe that long enough and zap. And that stronghold that you kind of created to protect yourself now becomes an electric fence, if you will. Or worse, kind of a prison in your own life. So if that's you, then on your worship folder, if you would, just write down relational stronghold. Nobody needs to know what it is, but again, if you want specific prayers and you want God to work in your life, then then we need to ask for specific things. So just write down relational stronghold. You might have um, uh, a physical, a lie about your physical identity. Uh, I have to look a certain way in order to be worth something. Um, This person might say, you know, I just don't like the way I look. Uh, I don't like anything about how I look. I change a hundred things about me when I look in those mirrors. Um, This person might say, I love food. I just can't stop eating it. Uh, This person might say, I should exercise, but I don't. Physical strongholds. So if you're like, ooh, that, that might be me. Just write down physical stronghold. And your spiritual enemy, again, he wants to tell you, this is just the way you are. You can't change. You're always going to be this way. And zap, you're in a prison. Relational stronghold, physical stronghold, maybe financial stronghold. Um, This person who says, you know, I'm just never going to be good with money. I'm never going to learn how to budget. Uh, I have money, and then it's spend money, and I look at the end of the month and go, where'd it go? I just don't get it. I just don't. I'm always, always, always worried about money, and I'll just always be in debt. There'll never be enough. This is a person who has a physical stronghold. Or, flip it around on the other side of it, it's the person who always, always, always wants to be in control of their money. It's my money. You can't have any of that money. I must control the money. I must know where it goes. Every last cent of it is mine. Financial stronghold. If that's yours, write it down. There are some of us who have a mental stronghold. This is someone who says, you know, I don't have a bad attitude. I just see the cup is half empty. I'm a critical person. That helps the world out. You know, I challenge things. And, and you know, seeing it from the negative outlook, that's good. That, that checks for holes in things and, and tells those people that think the world is rosy and beautiful. It gets them down to earth. I'm just, I'm not negative. Or, I'm just grumpy in the morning. It's just the way I am. Or, I just... I kind of have a bad mouth. I just cuss. I can't, I, I swear, I, I don't mean to, but sometimes I do, but it, you know, it's just the way I was raised. It's, it's just the way I am. Mental stronghold. Um, I didn't really know what to call this category, but I, I w- I'll just say habitual 
stronghold. These might be addictions. And, and I don't want to downplay chemical imbalances. Those are real. Um, some of these things are super challenging and, and need professional help. But sometimes the way we come at these habitual strongholds is to say, you know, I, I like to go to the casino. It's not bad. I like to have fun. I make a little money or I lose a little money, but it's just, it's just a little money. It's just, it's just a lottery ticket. And it's only when the Powerball goes over 2 million or 3 million or 10 million or whatever, then I only buy a few tickets. And, and, and it's not a problem for me. Um, uh, I, yeah, I drink. I just, one or two, it's okay. Like, we're okay with that, right? Just one or two, but it's never just one or two. Or it's cigarettes, and it's like, I just, I want to quit. I can't stop. I just, I want to, but I can't. Or it's marijuana, and so I want to, but I can't. Or it's, or it's, or it's, or it's lust, or it's pornography. It's just, oh, it's, you know, it's just a little thing. I mean, I'm not really looking at really bad stuff. It's, and it's just, it's just this picture, or it's romance novels. And I'm just reading this because, you know, it's, it's not pictures. It's not bad. I just, you know, kind of want to feel that love. And, and again, a lot of times, these habitual strongholds, we're actually seeking to fill a healthy place but in a really unhealthy way. And we don't realize that we're putting the collar oftentimes on ourself and that fence becomes a prison in those habitual strongholds. And if I haven't hit anything for you, then caffeine. Because, you know, it's just a cup of coffee, and I have to have my cup of coffee. And I'm not going to have my cup of coffee. I only had one. I can't change. I can't stop. I can't zap, zap. Um, and maybe your, your stronghold is, is a faith stronghold. It's a spiritual stronghold where you say, you know, we're at the beginning of the year, January 15th, Right? And maybe you said, you know, this is the year that I'm actually going to read my Bible. I'm going to take it out. And, and it's not going to be a long time, but you know what? I'm just going to try and read like five minutes every day. I could do that. You know, God would want me to do that. And now it's three weeks in and, and I'm already 17 days behind. Or three. Um, and, or, or then you just say, you know, it's just, it's just the way I am. I'm, I'm just not a reader. Or you say, it's, it's, it's along the lines of prayer. You know, everybody else seems to have a real faith, but, but I don't have a real faith. And, and I try to pray, but, but it doesn't work. I just, I can't get it right. And maybe God answers your prayers, but, but he doesn't answer mine. It's just the way I am. And again, your spiritual enemy wants you to believe this. He wants you to say, this is just the way you are. You will never change. You can't change. And you start to believe it. And, and finally, it gets to this point where not only are you in a prison, but you say something so radical that just, that in, in your healthy place would never make sense. You're like, God, you can't even change me. I, this is just the way I am. And you are trapped. And yet, even when we say something is, is radical or, or possibly insulting as, God, you can't change me, God still comes to us. And, and, and this guy that we looked at last week, Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, he was zapped several times, and he was even trapped. So if you have your Bible, you want to go to 1 Corinthians 2, um, because he kind of puts himself, he kind of digs a hole for himself. And so in 1 Corinthians 2, 
he writes a letter. He's visited this, this people in the city of, of Corinth, um, Greek city, very well-off city, very much booming, kind of like a, an affluent, maybe even suburban place. Um, and he visits, and then he writes this letter, and he says in chapter 2, When I came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you about God's secret plan. For I decided, while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Jesus Christ in his crucifixion. I came to you in weakness. I came to you timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive arguments or speeches, I relied only on the power of God's spirit. And I did this so that you'd trust in, in the power of God rather than human wisdom. Which might sound really great. You know, I read that and go, nice job, Paul, that's really good. You, should, you know, people, it, maybe, if I'm, maybe if, I, if I sound too good when I talk about you up here, God, people will think that I do something right and, and not rely on you. So, wow, these are really good words. Except these words totally came to bite him in the rear end afterwards. Because now he writes this letter, and he's away, and now the people of Corinth are like, oh, okay. And then people come in and be like, Paul, you know, he's not all that. Think about those words. He didn't, I mean, they weren't impressive. They weren't good words. I mean, he he's talks about being bold, but, you know, when he comes, he is just timid. He's not impressive. You don't want to trust him. He's not a real apostle. They were criticizing him. They were discrediting him. They were mocking him. And so when he writes the next letter, he has some words for them. 2 Corinthians 10, if you want to read it in your own Bible or on your phone or wherever. We looked at, in in chapters 10 to 13, he kind of um, answers these people who are critiquing him. He sort of defends himself. It's an interesting way that he defends himself. We looked at last week how in chapter 12, he defended himself by bragging about his weakness. And this week we look at the first few verses of chapter 10, as to how he is going to respond to people who are like, this is just the way Paul is. You know, he's unimpressive, he's plain, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the stuff. And he says this, I, Paul, myself, I appeal to you by the humility and the gentleness of Christ. I, who am timid, when I'm face-to-face with you, and bold towards you when I'm away, directly countering the things that they spoke about him, he says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some of you who think that I live by the standards of this world, or like the people that are saying, I behave just like everybody else. No, I don't behave like them. So even though I live in the world... Chapter, or verse 3, I don't engage in the battles or the fights or the arguments. Maybe your translation says war. I don't engage in those arguments like the world does. The reason I don't have to fight like the world does is because I don't use the weapons that the world uses. On the contrary, the weapons I use have God's divine power 
to demolish and destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive and we bring it under the control of Jesus Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Take every thought captive, we bring it under the control of Christ. So when we say like, oh, this is just the way I am, I think we are behaving like people who do not believe in the amazing, awesome, life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says, when Paul's called timid and ordinary and plain and unimpressive, he doesn't fight back with the same words. I mean, think about the weapons or the arguments that we would use if someone critiqued us. Wouldn't we be so quick to just jump back and start bantering with them? Wouldn't we use uh, our intelligence or our educational qualifications or our personal influence or our friends or our impressive credentials? Or maybe we would stoop to the negative and use slander or lying to try and get back at those people who are critiquing us. But Paul doesn't do that. He says, we're going to use weapons that have divine power to destroy these strongholds. And, and Paul's weapons are, are what allows him, I think, to say things like Philippians 4.13, I, ha- I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That isn't a person who says, this is just the way I am. I can't change. He says, oh no, I can change. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's why he can say things like Romans 8.37, I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. He says, I'm an overcomer. He says, I capture that thought and I bring it in and I make it obey Jesus. He wasn't going to let someone give him a lie that would become a prison or a stronghold in his life. And I think that's why he's able to say, probably from prison, for talking about Jesus, Philippians 4, 8. So brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, we should put it on a bumper sticker. We should write it on our mirror in our bathroom where we get ready in the morning. We should, we should put it in an index card. We should put it in our Bible. We should highlight it in our Bible. We should put it in our car. We should think about such things. We capture every wrong thought. We make it obedient to Jesus. Occasionally, if you really, really, really know me, and some of you think you know me because I wear everything right out here. And I'm like, oh, all the time. You know, I know. I'm a raging, flaming extrovert. I understand. I get it. I can be quiet occasionally for five minutes. But when, if you knew, like, way down there, occasionally, scanning the room for my wife, I have a pity party. Occasionally. Not very often, but occasionally. <laughs> occasionally. And sometimes, 
in church, in ministry, as a pastor, sometimes, not, not very often, but sometimes, little criticism comes this way. Little bit, little bit. Sometimes there has to be like these huge decisions that I think, oh my God, if the world's riding on it. So sometimes, not very often, but sometimes I have these little tiny pity parties or big ones. And, and as I start going down this road of I'm worthless, you know, remember that thing in fourth grade? It's all coming back to that. I'm going to have to go back to the counselor again. I'm, uh. Michelle just looks at me and she says, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Why would you believe that? Take that thought captive and make it obey Jesus. And it kind of feels like a little bit like that or a little bit like that. But what I started to realize is she's not my mom. She's my sister in Christ who is giving me truth in love, who's giving me truth about my identity as a child of God. And she's right. And so when I challenge you in a second, even if you're new and you're like, oh gosh, that's harsh. Remember that (laughs) I get challenged a lot too. Not all the time, but on those occasional pity parties. Think about what it looks like to look up to the heavens, whether you do or not, to the Holy One of God, the omnipotent one who created you and said, just the way I am, you can't change me. Might it, might it be a little bit insulting to the creator of the universe? Not only, not only that, but it's trapping. It's like, it's like we're putting a shot collar on. It's like we're putting the fence up and we're saying, that's as far as I can go. I I can't do it. I am locked into this stronghold of deception. And the good news of Jesus is that the God of the universe came as the son, as Jesus Christ, and he lived on this earth and he died a perfect death and he was raised to life and he defeats sin and death and Satan, and evil, and these strongholds, and he gives us the amazing, awesome, life-changing power in the Holy Spirit if we ask. So what's the stronghold you wrote down? Where's that place in your life that you've hidden away, that you've put in a safe, that you have locked up, that you don't want anyone to know about. You threw away the key and you just can't go there. I told you one of mine. Fourth grade was really hard. But the life-changing power of Jesus Christ has ripped that stronghold from me. I love you. I love you guys. But whether you're here or not does not validate who I am. Whether I have friends does not validate who I am. That relational stronghold has broken open and the freedom in Christ and I don't have to smash my collar because God, in his omnipotence, he gave me a worldly weapon, or a not worldly weapon, a spiritual weapon, a divine power, and he just removes the power. I don't have to smash it. 
like the world does. When someone criticizes you, you don't have to criticize them back. When someone tells you that's just the way you are, you can't change, you're always going to do that, you're always going to be late, you're always going to be fat, you're always going to be, you can say, "Mm mm-hmm, no power. Uh Uh-uh, and if you need to, you can do that too. I think on occasion, Jesus did that. Maybe. So what's the stronghold you wrote down? Because again, if you want specific answers, you have to pray specific prayers. And if Jesus isn't at the center of your life, I love you, but this will not work. You can't try harder in this area. Jesus has to be in the middle, which is simply just saying, Jesus, I need you in the center. I need you in my life. I need you to be Lord and Savior, because Lord knows, you know, I've messed it up. It doesn't work for me. But you can make me new. It doesn't just have to be a new year. I can have a new heart. I can be in a new place. I don't have to be just the way I am. I can actually look in one of those mirrors and I can see the reflection of Jesus as you come in my life, as the power of the Holy Spirit comes over me, as I give every thought over that's wrong and I make it captive and I obey Christ to it. I bring it under the control of Christ. You make me look like more like you. God, you can do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's right. We're going we're gonna to be Southern. It's just going to happen. <laughs> I told you last week, and it's going to happen. Um, if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you can pray today, and we'll have people right over there, um, that he can break the stronghold. He can remove the shock collar of whatever's holding on to you. And if you're like, I'm kind of skeptical because I prayed before, and it hasn't happened, then my, my parting questions to you would be, how are you living, and how are you thinking? Like, are you living just like the world, or are you living as a person who loves Jesus in the world? Meaning, you act different, you believe different, you think different, which brings me to how you're thinking. Are you thinking like someone who doesn't really believe in that amazing power of Jesus Christ, Or are you thinking like someone who, like Paul said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to believe just Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and resurrection. That's all I'm going to believe. Now think about what that simple statement says. Oh, I, I really love to lose 10 pounds, right? I'd really love to gain 10 pounds, whatever it takes. Oh, I really, I should, I should, uh, I should, I should sign up for, for, Nutrisystem, I should, I should sign up for lifetime fitness. I should sign up for, I should put all my hope in these other things. Or I need to bring myself under the power of Jesus Christ, of his crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but the, li- but the life I live, I now live in Jesus, the resurrection, the one who died for me, the one who gave himself for me. I live by his faithfulness. There's where my identity lies. And maybe the weight will come or maybe it won't come. And that's okay. Because I put that focus in Jesus Christ. Amen.